worship team, as always, and leading us in worship is a great, uh, you guys do a great job, so thank you. We're going to continue our journey through the book of John, and so if you have your Bibles, I ask that you can turn to chapter 13, we're going to finish up chapter 13 of the book of John, and we're going to be starting in verse 31. This is what it says. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can come before you this morning and open it and see you and see your son, that it can be brought to life in our minds and our hearts as we see what your son has done for us and how he has saved us and how he has brought us into your family. And so, Lord, just as this passage says, we, we pray that you are glorified through this message, this time as we look at your word. We pray for this time as we come before your word that we can be changed by it, moved by it, and that we can follow you wherever you lead. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a love-obsessed people. We really are. We write songs about love. In fact, I just did a quick search about love songs, and I found a list of the top 49 love songs of 2018. And that means there were some that did not make the cut. That's a lot of love songs for people to be writing. We write poems about love. The great authors that we know, they cut their teeth on talking about love. If you have a news app, chances are one of those articles on the news app is going to be about a celebrity love thing going on. Oh my goodness, Miley Cyrus broke up with Chris, uh, not Chris, Liam Hemsworth. See, I know pop culture. Oh my goodness, we are obsessed with love. It's all around us. We're looking for love. But yet, while we're obsessed with love, we can be so unloving towards our fellow humans. I don't know if you guys are on Twitter, but if you are, or any kind of social media, you see the very worst of humanity come out against each other, and we're very unloving towards one another. So why is it that if we're obsessed with love, can we not get it right? And that's because I think humans are searching for love, but they're searching it for on their terms and how they define it, and they're looking for love without knowing what love is. Because they're looking for love and defining it how it suits them, rather than looking towards God and seeing how he would define what love is. For when we come to the Bible, when we come to God's word, we see very clearly that love is defined in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a supreme example to 
supreme um, image of what love is, is Christ laying down his life for us. And so when we come to know what love is, we need to come to what Christ says about love and how he would define it. And so in John chapter 13, we see a command to love, and we see Jesus telling us to love one another. But within this context, we also see this glorious truth, and that is God is glorified on the cross and in the church. That God is glorified, that we reveal or we point to his magnificence, his glory, his splendor, that he does that on the cross, but we also do it in the church. And how we reveal God's glory, how we reveal God's splendor is that we love one another. That we are marked by the same love that sent Jesus to the cross. That we are marked by the same love that he has for us. And so we have that love and so God can be glorified. God is glorified on the cross and in the church. That is the truth of John chapter 13 verses 31 through 38, that we see that God is, the glory of God is made known, is manifested on the cross and in the church. So let's just look at this passage and see how the glory of God is made known or manifested for us. And so we see the context of this passage. It says, and when he had gone out, and it's talking about the passage before, that Judas had just left to betray Jesus. That Jesus had just left to go report to the, the council that Jesus is going to be at this garden later that night and he's going to get his 30 pieces of silver so that he can show them where Jesus is so they can arrest him and they can try him and they can execute, execute him. And so this puts it the framework that when Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's talking about what is about to happen me being arrested, Jesus says, me being falsely tried, me going to the cross, this is how the Son of Man and God is going to be glorified. I love how Jesus doesn't just say, I'm about to die, but he gives a bigger picture of what's going on. And we do that all the time. He puts it into context. We put things into context all the time. If your child walks into you while you're in the kitchen and you are mixing some ingredients in a bowl and stirring them up, and, they, and the child asks, what are you doing? You could either say, well, I'm, I'm using this wooden device to move in a circular motion, uh, mixing this flour and sugar. And that would be true, wouldn't it? But we wouldn't put it like that. We'd give the bigger picture. We would say, I'm making cookies. And the kid understands, oh, this is what's going on. And in the same way, Jesus does not say, I'm just going to die. He says, no, this is the bigger picture. This is what's going on, that God is about to be glorified. And the Son of Man is going to be glorified as well. And so that should actually make us pause here and wonder, what does this mean that God is going to be glorified? What does it mean that the big picture is God's glory as Jesus goes to the cross? In the book of John, Glory is mentioned many, many times, more than any of the other Gospels. It's 23 times the word glory or the word of word form of glory is mentioned. And then five of those times are right here in these verses. 22% of the time when John talks about glory are right here. So we see that God's glory is on the forefront of John's mind. That God's glory is important. 
So what is God's glory? Well, we can think about God's glory being his splendor, his majesty, his might. His glory is, is really who he is and how magnificent he is. And his glory is also that magnificent, that splendor, that grandeur revealed to his people. In the Old Testament, it talks about glory, God's glory coming down and resting on the tabernacle. It talks about God's glory coming down and rest, resting on the mount that people saw a glimpse of his majesty. And that is God's glory. And when we look to what does it mean to be glorified, it's actually revealing, pointing to, acknowledging that splendor that God has. That he is great, he is mighty, he is perfect. He is God and we are not. And so that was what God's glory is. It's revealing who he is to his people, his might and his power. And so we see that Jesus says the cross, how he's going to die, brings glory to God. That Jesus is going to die shows how magnificent, how grand, how perfect God is. And that confounds us. If we're honest, that confuses us a bit. That the Son of Man would willingly go and die and submit to the authorities that would falsely try him for things he did not do. That they would be him. That they would demean him. That they would, would mock him. Brings glory to God can confound us. But the truth is that John is making a point that in Christ, that in the shame of the cross, God is glorified unlike any other time in human history. I love how D.A. Carson, the theologian, says it like this, the supreme moment of divine disclosure, the greatest moment of, of displayed glory was in the shame of the cross. That in the cross, as Jesus went to die on our behalf, went to die for us, we catch a glimpse of God's glory unlike any other time in history. That we truly see who Jesus is. And we see this in, the, in this title, Son of Man, that, that John uses. This title, Son of Man, has divine origins that, that, that go back to the book of Daniel, that when they, Daniel received this vision of the Son of Man ascending in a cloud to the ancient days, to the Father. And so every time the Son of Man title is used outside of the New Testament, it's connected to glory, God's glory. But then all of a sudden the gospel writers start connecting it to Christ's suffering. The Son of Man would suffer. But John, unique among the gospel, takes the glory of God and connects it to Christ's suffering. And he says, this is how Christ and God are glorified. The cross, dying for us. Because on the cross, we see the truth of who God is. On the cross, we see the truth of holiness. That God is a holy God. He cannot abide sin. That he has wrath burning against sin. He cannot be in a relationship with people's sin. And so sin must be taken care of as it is on the cross. We see God's justice. That God is a good judge. That sin must be atoned for. The debt must be paid. And we see that on the cross. But we also see 
God's mercy displayed as he pours out unmerited grace and favor and love on his people as he himself satisfies his justice through his son, as he himself satisfies his holiness by providing the sacrifice that saves us. That on the cross we see who God is in all of his perfection as he saves us through Jesus Christ. Some commentators put it like this, in the death of Jesus We see God's holiness and love, righteousness and mercy, justice and grace, sovereignty and humility, wisdom and patience. If we want to understand God, we must study the cross. If we want to be transformed into the image of Christ, we must study the cross. For when we see Jesus on the cross and what that achieves for us, we see God's disclosure of himself unlike anywhere else. He loves us to the extent that he would send his son to die for us. It's a magnificent scene that God is glorified on the cross. And he's also glorified in the church. I love when you start talking about the glory of God and you kind of can trace those things throughout the Bible and, it's, it's, and you see the fulfillment in Christ and who he is and you see how it all is connected That God's glory comes down and it leads people in a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day and they follow God's glory and now we come to Christ, the full disclosure of who God is and we're supposed to follow him and we follow him to salvation. We follow him into the new kingdom. We follow him to be with God forever. That when we read the Old Testament, we see God's glory coming down upon the temple and the tabernacle where sacrifices were given to God to appease, uh, to, to uh, mitigate the, the, the sin of the people. And we see God's glory dwelling there, especially with his people. But then we come to Christ, the once and for all greatest sacrifice for his people. And we are told this is the glory of God unlike any other time. And the glory of God that will bring us into heaven where Jesus shines with his glory so that we don't even need to the sun or the moon anymore, and we see how Jesus is God's glory made known for us. That when we see Jesus, we see God. That when we worship Jesus, we worship God. That he shows us who God is in ways that it's hard even to fathom. This is how God is glorified by Jesus on the cross. And it fuels our worship. For we see who God is. And once we see who God is, we cannot help but worship him. For we see a God who saves us at expense to himself. We see you, God, who takes care of our sin when we don't have to do anything because we can't do anything, but he saves us. We see a God who comes down and consents to our level, who experiences humanity to the fullest, who experiences the temptations that we go through but does not sin so that he can save us on that cross. And it fuels us to worship him. And when we come to the cross, the cross is not just the starting line on our journey of life with Christ. No, it is what guides us, it is what moves us, it is what empowers us, it is what we follow all of our life is the cross shows us who God is and his glory. All of life follows and flows from this, that God is glorified on the cross. God is also glorified by the church. 
by the church as it expresses love as Christ loves. And so we see this. Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And then he switches language and he says, little children, he tenderly starts dressing his disciples and he calls them little children because he loves them and he cares for them and he knows he's about to leave them. And they're going to be in turmoil. They're going to be, in, be anxious about what's going on. And so he calls them these little children because he loves them because he's leaving. He says, you guys can't follow after me. You guys can't do what I'm about to do. But Jesus says, I'm about to die on the cross, and that is only what I am going to do. Only I can save you through the cross. You will not follow me to the cross. But I'm not leaving you alone. I love this. Three times he uses the words, one another. That he is, in, he is creating a new community, a new group. And he says, one another, I'm not leaving you guys alone. I'm leaving you guys with one another. That this diverse group, his followers, is now a new community founded on him. And that their identity is first and foremost found in him and what he does for them and nothing else. And that totally changes their whole outlook of life. I love when you look at who are these 11 guys sitting together in their, the past. And some are fishermen, some are average Joes. We have people from different ends of the political spectrum. We have people probably in different socioeconomic status. But yet, now they're grounded together as believers in Christ, followers of Christ. And that is what defines them. I love the example of just two of these, these guys who I like to envision, there's no evidence for this, that they're sitting together Why Jesus says this. That on one hand, you have Matthew, who is a tax collector. He is a collaborator with Rome. He, people did not like him in, in, in this time of age because he was actually taking money from his fellow Jews and giving it to Rome, their, their oppressors. And then in my mind, sitting right next to him, is Simon the Zealot. The zealots were a political faction of, of, of Israel that on their free time, they were knife collaborators in back alleys. They were rebels. They wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. And now this guy, who maybe in his past, because he's called a zealot, they knew him by this political fraction, maybe he had, he had assaulted collaborators in the past, but yet now, because of Christ, he sits next to a former collaborator. He sits next to Matthew, the tax collector. And that does not matter anymore because their identity, their relationship with one another is not founded on that, but is founded on Christ. And it's an amazing picture just in that, that you can see and just the, the people who followed Jesus then of what the church is. A people from so many diverse backgrounds, so many pe people that might not agree politically, People who might not even root for the same sports teams. People who might, you know, come from different states or even different countries or, or have different backgrounds in, in their family life. But yet, they're coming together and they have a new identity that is found in Christ. And that changes everything. And that is what the church is. That we're left to one another. We have found that Jesus found a new community in his followers. That that happened here with his 11 followers here, 
And it happens every time Christ followers come together to praise his name. That this new community is operating and functioning, founded on Christ and nothing else. It's a new family. And to this new community, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. I always think this is funny because you're like, what is new, Jesus, about this commandment? Way back in Leviticus 19.18, you already told us to love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing new about the community of God being defined by love. So what is new about this, Jesus, that you would look to your disciples and say, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. The newness of this is that there's a new source of this love. Before, without Christ, the source of our love has to be kind of dwelled with in ourselves. We have to love each other on our own power, and we're, de- we're doomed to fail. But yet after Christ, in Christ, as we look to Christ, we have a new source for this love, and that is Christ himself. That after Christ goes to the cross, after he sends his Holy Spirit, as we're about to read later in these chapters, we see that we're given a new power to love as Christ has loved, that we can love each other as Christ has loved. And so there's a new source for this love, and that's what's new about it. But there's also a new standard for this love. We're not just supposed to love each other how we want to be loved. We're supposed to love as Christ loved. That is a new heightened standard that you are supposed to look at your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm going to love you as Christ loved you. I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to look towards your good and not my own. I'm going to love as Christ loved. So we see there's a new standard, and this takes place in that new community as the defining mark of the church that we love one another. Because that's what Jesus says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's saying, by this, I am glorified. My glory is revealed. My splendor is revealed. If you have love for one another, this is the defining mark of the church. What are our churches supposed to be known by? Is it steeples? Bell towers? Is it the name alone? Or is it a defining mark characteristic of love? Jesus says they will know you if you love one another. Every organization has defining characteristics or marks. If you see a guy wearing all brown, jumping out of a brown truck with yellow letters on it, delivering a package to your home, you know what organization he belongs to, right? FedEx. No, I just made that up. That's a, no, but if you, if you go to a drive-thru and someone says, it's my pleasure to serve you, chances are you know I'm going to get some delicious chicken. But not today because it's closed. Every organization has defining marks, characteristics that people can almost just look and say, oh, I know that is. There's logos everywhere that we probably know all too well. We know what that is. And so Jesus is saying, this is the defining characteristic. This is what people see, and they see that you're a church, that they see you loving each other, giving your life for each other, being in each other's life, laying down your life for each other. I see the glory of God displayed. That is what the church is, because we love each other, and people see They must be followers of Christ. They must know and have seen him. They must 
They must have been changed by him. This is the defining mark of what it is to be a Christ follower, that we love one another. But Jesus does not just leave this in our own power. As I said, we have a new source to do this, and that is Christ himself. And I love this interaction that Simon Peter has with him when he's asking him, where are you, where are you going? And again, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterwards. There's a hope and there's a promise here. Even in the promise of the cross, that Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will be able to follow me later. Now, in Peter's case, you can, make the, you can say this is he's talking about. Peter is going to follow him to the cross. Because later in John chapter 21, we see uh, Jesus saying that this is how Peter is going to die, as well as we have for church history that Peter was crucified just as the Lord was. And so we have this understanding that maybe Jesus is looking at him saying, you will follow me. But I think we can take that and we can start applying it to our lives that we have the power, not only the power, but we have the promise and the hope that where Jesus goes, we too can follow. That when Jesus is going to be ascending to heavens, that is our hope, that's our promise, that we too can be with our Lord. That we have a promise that it's no longer our own ability that gets there because we can't get us there. But Christ promises us that soon we can follow too. And that's the hope. Because if the hope was you just be loving as much as you can, we're going to fail. We're just going to be just like Peter who fell three times and denied Christ. But we have a hope that soon, afterwards, when the Son of Man is glorified, when he sends his Holy Spirit, when he's working in our hearts, that we too will be able to follow Christ. So we see he leaves us with this hope that we can follow him. We can love like him. We can be marked by that. God is glorified on the cross, and in the church. So what does this mean for us? When you look at that, we see that God is taking care of being glorified on the cross. That is his business. And we also see that God's going to be moving in us, the church, to be glorified in how we love each other. So what do we do? We be marked by love. We get busy loving that we're commanded to love and so we should love, that we should take a, a, kind of a time to look around and say, how can I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? And that starts right here. For Jesus says the mark of a disciple is that they love one another, that we first and foremost look around at people who are united to us by Christ and we say, I am going to love you just as Christ loved me that I'm going to give to you what I need to give to you when you're in need. That when you are going through hardship, I am there. When you're going through celebrations, I'm there. When you are living life and you just need someone to be there, I am there. I'm going to love you like Christ has called me to love you. Why? It's not because I like you. I hope I do. But it's because I love you in Jesus Christ and he has told me, you are my brother, you are my sister, you are my father, you are my mother, you are my children in the faith and these are the people I love. This is my new family. This is who I take care of. This is who I'm going to spend my life with. This is who I'm going to build up. That we are marked by love with one another and it starts right here. But the crazy thing about love is it can't be contained. That if we loved each other how we're supposed to love right here, it cannot help 
but start spilling over onto other people. That the love that we have for each other almost builds and it can't be contained by these four walls. It can't be contained by our small groups. It can't be contained by our ministries. And we start loving people as we love here. And people see that. They see the mark of Christ and they're drawn to it as we love as he has loved us. And it spills over in all that we do. That he sees, that people see this and know that we have seen Jesus. That we know Jesus. So get busy loving. Be marked by love. Let it start right here. Let it spill out to other ones. And then know and be assured that when we love, God is glorified. That we put the attention on him. We don't love to get something out of it. That's that's not the point of love. Love is self-giving. It's for the other's benefit. And when we love, as like Matthew uh, Matthew 5.16 says, that let your good deeds shine before men so they can see your Father's glory in heaven. That when people see you at work, when people see you in your home life, when people see you loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as you're supposed to, they actually truly can see God and give glory to him. For he's glorified in how we love. Again and again, we're told that if we love each other, if we're living for each, living for each other's good, if we're loving as Christ has done, God is glorified in his church. God is glorified in our lives. So let's get busy loving as Christ has called us to do. God is glorified on the cross, and in the church. Let us pray. There, Father.